Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers, the phenomenal classic that has changed the million <laughs> the lives of millions. Is that the subtitle? <laughs> I don't think it's the subtitle. I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's a... Bit of just, <laughs> there you go. Just talking up the book. <laughs> well, fear, fear seems to be epidemic in our society. We fear beginnings. We fear endings. We fear changing. We fear staying stuck. We fear success. We fear failure. We fear living. We fear dying. All of us have something to fear. Like, what is it for you entering this new year? It could be public speaking, asserting yourself, making decisions. Is it intimacy? Are you looking to change jobs? Are you fear of being alone? Is it a fear of aging, of driving? Losing a loved one, ending a, a, a relationship. There's all sorts of stuff to fear out there. Yeah, whatever you're doing, anything that you're doing new or different, you're going to feel some kind of fear. And the point of this book is to give a bit of fresh insight about what fear is, why we feel it, how it comes about, but also importantly, a couple of tools and techniques to improve our ability to handle any situation. That's it. You might be surprised and encouraged to learn that the inability to deal with fear it might look like a psychological problem that's, that's hard, but it's primarily an educational problem. And if we're able to re-educate the mind, we can simply accept fear as simply a fact of life rather than a barrier to success. Whenever we take a chance to enter some kind of unfamiliar territory or put ourselves out into the world in a new way, we're going to experience fear. Everyone experiences fear. A lot of times that fear is going to hold us back. It's going to stop us from moving ahead with our lives. We often try to short circuit that fear by stepping away from the risky thing and going just towards a more comfortable path. But that fear leads us to staying safe, but also staying stuck. Yeah, the big trick here is uh, the big takeaway from this book. And I think a lot of other people ripped the title of this book and thrown it into chapters out there. I think we did in our book, <laughs> the shit they never taught you. The trick is feel the fear and do it anyway. Susan was once teaching a class on fear. Now, it's not the author just making up the name Susan. It always appears to be Susan. <laughs> the author's name is Susan in this apparently, case, yeah. so apparently. <laughs> but thankfully for her, when she was teaching in this class, she didn't have any fear at the time. She, she's the one teaching the class, so you hope she wouldn't have too much fear teaching it. But as the students entered the room, she could tell a million miles away that all the tension that they had in their minds as they were walking in. They sat as far apart as possible until they had to sit next to each other because all the uh, seats on the edges were filled up. They didn't want to talk to each other. They just wanted to sit there and wait nervously for the class to start. Importantly, it's a bit of courage, you know, signing yourself up for a class on fear or a workshops on fear. So it's a bit of courage getting into the room in the first place. But they had to go around the circle and say, what is it for them? Because we've all got, we're all got our own personal demons and battles that we're going through. Yeah, Susan went around the room and asked everybody what, what they were there for, what they were scared of. So, so Don, he had a fear of changing careers. After 14 years in the career, he wanted to change careers. Sarah, she'd been in a marriage for two decades, but she wanted to leave that marriage. Uh, Teddy, he had a fear of aging. Uh, Jean, she was a senior citizen and she wanted to confront her doctor and speak up about the fact that he was treating her like a child. Patty, she wanted to start her own business, but she was feeling the fear of taking that next leap. As she moved around the room and everybody just let go of their stories a little bit, amazing things started to happen and the whole energy in the room seemed to shift a little bit because the tension had quickly faded and there was relief on everyone's face. They were thinking, 
hey, like, you know, I'm not the only one dealing with this. Everyone's fearing something in their lives. Yeah, that was the key. She'd gone around and heard stories about, you know, health, wealth, career, business, relationships, and everything in between. Everybody had some kind of fear. And the only common denominator between everybody in that group, they all had different fears, but the common thing was that they all had fear, and that fear was holding them back from experiencing life the way they wanted to experience it. Susan Jeffers, she's a fear expert, you could say. There's not many fear experts you come across, but if there ever was one, this is her. it'd be her. <laughs> and she's broken the fears into three different levels. So the first level one is level one fears. It's a bit of a surface story, right? Like you're telling yourself uh, on the surface, like the ones we were describing earlier, Don wants to change careers, Patty wants to expand her business and so forth. Out of these, these can be broken into two different groups of fears. The first group of these level one surface level stories is the group of fears of things that happen to us. So, things that might happen to us like aging, becoming disabled, uh, your children leaving home, natural disasters, war, death, illness, change, loss of financial security, accidents, loss of a loved one. These are all the things that just happen to us. The second group is the things you can do something about, those requiring action. You can go back to study or retrain make decisions, you can choose to change your career, make new friends, have a child, drive, public speaking, job interviews, going out there and losing weight. Obviously, there's there's hundreds of fears we can add to these lists. Yeah, I'm sure you can think of plenty of fears of that level one. These are the, the surface stories. But then what Susan did is, is you can kind of dig a little bit deeper. All these surface level fears, you can actually group them into level two fears, which are not about the situations, but they're about the ego. So, the list of level two fears include fear of rejection, success, failure, being vulnerable, conned, helplessness, disapproval, or loss of image. So, these level two fears, these are the inner states of mind. They're not to do with the exterior situations. They're the things inside yourself. So, for example, you might have a level two fear of rejection, and that level two fear of rejection can then appear in different areas of your life. So, that might be then a fear of going to a job interview because then you're obviously scared of rejection. It, it, uh, it manifests as a level one fear of a job interview because you're scared of being rejected. Or that level two fear of rejection can then be in your social life as well, maybe making new friends, maybe trying to uh, chat up a new potential romantic partner. This fear of rejection is going to manifest as a level one fear there as well. As a result of fears like this, you're probably going to begin to protect yourself. You might close yourself off, limit yourself or just shut yourself out in the world. It's all too scary out there to go out there and get rejected by someone um, to open yourself up and be vulnerable. Yeah, you'd rather not do that. Yeah, the problem there is obviously the more you try to protect yourself um, from getting rejected, the more you sort of close in, probably the more likely you are to be rejected. It becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's a bit of a metaphor, rejection. There's a whole bunch of those as well. Um, we zoomed in on just the one there. Now, level three fears, we're going meta again. So we're going in the helicopter. We're going up to the most meta fears of the meta of the meta fears right now. <laughs> That's right. So, those level one fears are about the external situation. The level two fears are about our inner state of mind. Now, level three, this is the biggest of them all and there's actually only one level three fear that encapsulates all of those level one and two fears and the big fear itself is the fear that I can't handle it. Sounds bloody basic and simple. <laughs> You're probably thinking, oh, is that it? Well, it kind of is because if you drill down on every other fear, level one or two, Underlying all of them is this feeling deep down that you can't handle it. These situations get thrown at you and things turn to shit. Um, you're not going to be able to deal with whatever situation comes up. Yeah, that's right. So, if you think that the level one fear, the fear of the, the job interview, 
you, you drill down to the level two fear, the fear of rejection. You drill down to the level three fear, I can't handle it. Because really, you're just thinking, well, if I get rejected from this job interview, I'm not going to be able to handle it. I'm going to be out on my ass. I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to make any money. I'm not going to be able to do anything. I can't handle it. So basically, any of those fears we listed previously, all they boil down to is the fear that you can't handle whatever gets thrown at you. So the truth is, if you knew you could handle it, let's just entertain it for a second. Let's just say you could handle anything you fear about, if it came your way, what would you possibly have to fear? Probably nothing, right? Yeah, if you knew right. deep down that whatever comes your way that, hey, I know this is going to happen, but when it comes, I'm going to figure it out. I can handle it. Having that mindset, you actually got nothing to fear. It's the antidote, really. Yeah, that's right. And if you know that you can handle any situation, then you don't have to worry about trying to control all those other things, those level two and level one fears. You don't have to control what your partner does, what your kids do, what your boss does. You don't have to control what happens in the job interview, what happens to your money, what happens in the stock market because you know that anything that goes wrong, you're going to be able to handle it. So, all we have to do to diminish our fears and learn this skill, like she calls it a skill, um, you need to develop your trust in your ability to handle whatever comes your way in life. That's pretty... I, th- I feel like that's, that's a pretty cool insight, just realizing that any fear boils down to that one thing that you fear that you can't handle it because you don't have enough trust in yourself. So, if that lack of trust in yourself is the source of all of your fears, of everything that's holding you back... You've now got like a uh, this one root cause that you can attack with like a laser-like focus. You know what needs to change? What needs to change is your ability to handle whatever gets thrown at you. Yeah, I like it. So, you know, rather than just being worrying about your level one or level two, you can always zoom up to this and say, all right, what's my goal for this year? This is probably a good goal to develop trust in yourself. And if you do that, um, you've got your antidote to fear and you're going to be well equipped to handle a lot of situations. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to fear the job interview. You don't have to fear the public speaking. You don't have to fear losing weight. Whatever it is, you can now solve all of these fears with this one big change and that's to develop trust in yourself. You need to get to the point where you can honestly say to yourself, whatever happens, if it goes right or if it goes wrong in any situation, I can handle it. Janet is waiting for the fear to go away. She wanted to go back to college to finish her studies and she said, I'm going to do it as soon as my children are in school. Once they're in school, then I can go back to study. The problem is, it's been four years since her youngest child entered school and new excuses are popping up. She says, oh, well, I want to be here for my kids to get a a snack when they get home, not a smack, a snack when they get home. Uh, She says, oh, look, we really don't have the money or she'll say, oh, my husband will feel neglected if I'm not home for him all the time. All these things are popping up. And whilst it's true that some logistics might need to be worked out about how the kids get picked up from school, the fact is her husband's willing to help to do whatever and she's just telling herself, look, as soon as I feel a little better about myself, I'm going to make that call. I'm going to go back to school. The problem is she's been waiting a long time and if she waits until she feels better about herself, she's going to be waiting a very long time. A very long time. The problem is that her thinking is a little bit mixed up here. Her current logic, it's like programming her really for failure. She's never going to break the fear barrier with her faulty thinking. She's probably telling herself a few porky pies in order to, to make the decision not to just go about it, what she really wants to do. So she can't wait until she feels better before she starts doing things because that's simply never going to happen. It's going to work the other way around. 
Yeah, that's right. You don't wait till you feel better before you start doing things. In fact, if you start doing things, then you'll start to feel better. Once you start achieving a couple of things, once you prove to yourself that you can handle it, once you prove to yourself that when you, you pick up and you make that phone call and you, you don't die or you don't get laughed at, something goes right, then you actually start to feel better about yourself. So, the, the doing comes first, the feeling better comes later. Yeah, it's going to be pretty pretty shit at the start. It's not you're not going to be comfortable whatsoever. It's a bit like an awkward child learning to walk for the first time. But with each little stutter, someone like Janet with her goal, she will become a little bit surer. Even if she picks up the phone, makes the call, has the first conversation to get a bit of progress. She's going to grow her in her confidence and her trust in herself really to handle whatever life throws at her. Susan Jeffers, she had her own fears. Um, this is obviously going back before she was a fear expert. She got divorced from her first husband and she was a bit childlike. She said that she let him take care of all the responsibilities for all of the, the day-to-day practicalities. Once they separated, she had to start doing them for herself. She thought, oh my goodness, I'm totally screwed. There's, how can I do this? I can't go and shop for the groceries. I can't cook. I can't do the washing. I can't do the folding. I, I can't pay the bills. She was so paralyzed by fear. But gradually, when the bill came in and she paid on time, then she realized, oh, actually, I can handle this. I can do some of this stuff. Every time she stepped outside her comfort zone into unfamiliar territory, she felt frightened and it was always the same sort of pattern. But she realized, if I just keep putting myself out there, maybe eventually the fear is going to disappear. But it never really did. So, a bit of a light bulb went off in her head and she realized four truths about fear. The first truth is that the fear will never go away as long as you continue to grow. If you keep pushing yourself, if you keep stretching your capabilities, if you keep stepping outside of your comfort zone, if you keep continuing to take new risks to make your dream come true, then there's going to be fear every time you do it. Bit of the package deal here. There are your two choices. If you want to grow, then fear is going to be uh, along with you the whole entire way. If you choose not to grow and not do anything, maybe... You're probably going to be fearful anyway. We'll right. More about that later. There's too many people like Janet. They're waiting for the fear to go away before they take the next step, but it actually doesn't like work like that. You can't just say, when I'm no longer afraid, then I'll take the risk because you're never going to take that risk because the fear is never going to disappear. The second truth is the only way to get rid of the fear of doing something is to go out and just do it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The thing is that uh, we said that there's always going to be fear, Um, In a general sense, but in a specific sense, this specific particular fear of this particular situation, that can go away and the only way to make it go away is to actually do it. Yeah, a good book I've read and a good person who um, personifies this, I'd say, is Richard Branson who read the book. Well, he didn't read the book. He wrote the book, (laughs) Screw It, Let's Do It. Susan had her own uh, doing it first experience when she was teaching for the first time. Um, She was studying for a doctorate. And uh, one of the big dogs at the uni just said, uh, okay, well, as part of this, then you've got to teach some of the undergraduates. And she was terrified. Uh, for three days prior, she felt like her stomach was doing roller coasters. She was trying to solve, I guess this is before she'd worked out her three levels of fear. She was trying to solve that level one fear, which is the fear of teaching a class by over-preparing. She hand-wrote the script for her class eight times. She prepared three different lectures worth of material so she wasn't going to run out of things to say but no preparation took that fear away. She said that day one of the class felt like she was being ready for the guillotine. She was getting marched up on the plank and ready to get her head chopped off. She stood in front of the students her heart was pounding and she was dropping the notes as she was speaking and her knees were shaking and shattering and but anyway, somehow she got through the first class and of course, she wasn't looking forward to the next one Um, But when week two turned around, 
she wasn't really as anxious as she was at the start. So with every time she experienced teaching this class, it seems to get a little bit better with every every iteration. That's right. I suppose if she had known the three levels of fear, she could have worked out that the level one fear of teaching the class was really a level three fear that she couldn't handle it. If she realized that, hey, whatever happens, if I forget what I have to say, if the kids laugh at me, if I get fired, whatever happens, I can handle it. She probably wouldn't have been so scared. But in this case, because she was treating the level one fear, each time she did it, the fear just went away a little bit. Of course, the next challenge, there's going to be fear. But for this specific challenge, once you do it, you lose some of that fear. So it's same with whatever you're doing, whatever fear you, you, you are, you got in front of you. Um, the only way to get rid of it is to go out and do something about it. Next time you confront the same situation, the fear is going to be there too, but albeit in a slightly diminished fashion. So that was truth two was saying the, the way to get rid of that fear is to go out there and do it. Now, truth three is saying that the only way to feel better about yourself is to go out there and do it. Again, once you start doing it, the fear is going to go away, which is truth two, but also you're going to start to feel a little bit better about yourself, which is truth three. The only way to feel better about yourself is by first doing the things you fear and the doing it becomes before the feeling better part. Uh, when you make something happen, not only does the fear of the situation go away, but also you get the big bonus and um, you get a little bit of a few extra points in your self-confidence quota. That's right. You're going you're gonna to feel like you've finally mastered something. You know, for, for Susan, she'd finally mastered teaching a class. She'd gotten rid of the fear of teaching the class. She was feeling so good about herself because she'd overcome that fear. Then what happens next? Once you've conquered the fear, you think, oh, I'm going to go out there and go and try to do something new. I feel so good about myself. I'm ready for my next challenge. And guess what? The fear comes back. That bloody fear is there every time. But here's the upside. And this is truth four. Not only am I going to experience fear whenever I'm in unfamiliar territory, so is everyone else. It's part of being a human being. Yeah, it's not really an upside, I guess. I suppose it's an upside, but it's just knowing that, hey, you're not weird. You're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. It's actually something that everybody goes through. Every time you step outside your comfort zone, every time you want to try something new or different, there's going to be fear. If you think about it, everyone out there is feeling the fear when they're approaching something new in life, but still there's probably two distinct groups of people. You've got one group who are doing it anyway, despite the fear, probably feeling the fear and doing it. And then the other group of people is people who are just not doing it and actually stifled from it. So uh, we must conclude from that that fear isn't the problem. Um, the real issue isn't just the fear, it's actually how we hold the fear and what we do about it. That's right. If everybody's feeling fear, but there are still people doing stuff, that means they handle fear a little bit differently. There's one group of people for whom fear is totally irrelevant, and for another group of people, fear creates a state of paralysis. The first group who see fear as irrelevant, they uh, they approach fear from a position of power, and power brings with it choice, energy, and action. The others, the ones who are crippled by fear, they're saying that they hold fear from a position of pain, and pain really only brings helplessness, depression, and paralysis. So really, the secret to handling fear is just to move from a position of pain to a position of power. Once you got power, then the fact that you got fear becomes irrelevant. That's it. I guess we're moving into the kicker of the book, feel the fear, and then we're on to doing it anyway, I That's guess, right. right now, which is, yeah, being in a position of power. Um, we're not talking about the power in terms of manipulating people. It's not about that whatsoever. We're talking about the power within the self, um, referring to personal power and strength from within. So it might be your perceptions of the world, how, how you react to situations in your life, doing what is necessary for your personal growth, the power to create joy and satisfaction in your life, the power to act, the power to love, these sorts of power. 
Yeah, this power, it leaves you free because you don't expect the rest of the world to fill in the gaps for you. By having a sense of personal power, it means that you know that you can get whatever you want on your own. There's obviously a, f- there's a few red flags here um, if you're choosing the, the pain path versus the power path. One big area is like in the vocabulary you, you choose. So every time you catch yourself using the pain words, you give yourself a little nudge. Um, what's the opposite of a pat in the back? Maybe you get a little get a little strap and belt and belt <laughs> your back around <laughs> one of Astro's whips from the top drawer. Um, and you can nudge yourself in the, in the direction of power. That's right. If you if you ever catch yourself saying I can't, that's a position of pain. If you're saying I can't do this, I can't do that, you're implying that you've got no control over your life. Instead, when you give yourself that whip. Shift yourself to saying, I won't. That puts you in the position of power where really you're giving yourself in the, the realm of choice. By striking out I can't from your vocabulary and replacing it with I won't, you're moving from a position of pain to a position of power. Another loser is you're saying, I should do this, sort of implying that you don't really have a choice and you're at the whim of someone else in the universe and their goals. Instead, you should be saying, hey, I could do this. Because it means the, the ball's in your court, really, and you've got a bit much more power, and you're the one choosing what you want to be really doing. Yeah, that's right. Susan once caught herself saying, oh, I should go and visit my mother today. But instead of saying, I should, which is that pain, saying you should, it's somebody else's choice, you, you, she, she shifted to saying, look, I could visit my mother today, but I'm choosing to go to the movies with my friends instead. It removes you from that sense of obligation to that place of choice. And you could say, look, I could... Uh, go to the movies or I could visit my mother, then you've got the choice. You can you can choose one or the other. Rather than just picking the movies without choosing and just saying, oh, I should have gone and seen my mother, should is putting you back into pain. Here's another one. It's not a, it's not a Sue banger. It's a personal banger. I think when people, you hear them say, I'll probably do this. Like I've heard, you know, <laughs> having people without deadlines, it doesn't really fill you with confidence. Like I can probably do it by next week. Like, oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> probably is a place of pain. That's a pain. It's yeah. not power. <laughs> Someone says, I'll do it. Yeah by next week, they're going to obviously find a way and just in that vocabulary, it just instills confidence and with it comes power. Big time. It's a problem, that's a place of pain, whereas it's an opportunity, that's an empowering place from power. Another one is if only, if only fills you with regret and remorse. Instead of saying, oh, if only I had have uh, said this at the board meeting, shift that from if only to next time, saying next time I'll be more prepared for the meeting. Now, the meta banger here is the, the excuse really when people say, hey, it's not my fault things turn to shit. If you're saying that, it really makes you feel helpless. It's far better to take responsibility for whatever happens in your life, even if it's a long bow that it's really, <laughs> you're, just choose, hey, it's, I'm responsible for it anyway. And if you do that and shift away from being the victim, your whole narrative of your life is going to change. And because of that, um, different things are going to pop up when you take total responsibility. Yeah, that's right. Instead of saying, it's not my fault I got sick, then you can shift it to saying, I'm totally responsible for eating healthily and exercising and reducing my stress levels so I don't get sick. Or you might have your washing out of the line and you say, oh, it's not my fault that it rained today and it all got wet. You should say, I'm totally responsible for checking the weather and hanging it out when the sun's shining. Sounds like a personal experience in the last week <laughs> yeah. or so, was it? Yeah, that's right. I've got to check the weather more often. Nah, it's not your fault, <laughs> No, No, that's pain, mate. Got to go to the power. I'm, I'm totally responsible. I hate doing the washing, so I'll, I'll probably like cherry pick when I'm a victim and when I'm a power man. Anyway, because victims, you're powerless, but the truth is you're already in control. Um, you're in total control. For some reason, you're either conscious or unconsciously choosing your position in life or wherever you might be right now. 
Yeah, that's right. A lot of people are choosing the victim path, the path of pain, the powerless path where you could easily take responsibility and choose the path of power. Taking responsibility means never blaming anyone else and taking responsibility for yourself. Mentioned uh, Richard Branson earlier, just a quick circle back to him. Uh, in his book, Screw It, Let's Do It, he talks about the origins of the Virgin story. And it was a time when the whole airline, they couldn't fly to where they needed to go. So everybody was just like uh, sitting down thinking, shit, I can't can't fly to where I wanted to go. Easy to be a victim in that situation. Like, what are you going to do about an airline doing that? But Branson at the time, he chose the power path, like an extremely big power move here. He went out and he negotiated hiring his own plane and uh, said, all right, it cost him two grand and he said, all right, for 40 bucks each, we can fly to the destination. And choosing the power path, that's really how the Virgin Airlines all started. So ultra extreme version of this right there. That's right. Another way to take responsibility means you have to handle the chatterbox. That's that little voice inside of our head that drives us crazy. Uh, you've probably got the chatterbox ticking away in every situation. One example Susan gives us, she says, oh, if I call him, maybe he'll think I'm too pushy, but maybe if I don't call him, he'll think I'm not interested. But if I call and he's not there, then I have to leave a message on his machine. Then my whole day's ruined because I'm going to be thinking about when's he going to call me back. But if I don't call, then I'll be wondering if he's with some some other lover. Maybe I shouldn't go out with my friends tonight because I should just wait for him to call or oh, I wonder why he hasn't called yet. Maybe he thought I was too annoying. Maybe I wasn't funny enough. Maybe I wasn't smart enough. Maybe I wasn't pretty enough. That chatterbox in every situation is just going to be ticking away in the back of your mind. And that's obviously a pain path. That's putting you deep into pain. Instead, you've got to take power, take responsibility, tell that chatterbox to shut the fuck up and uh, <laughs> take a bit of power back. That's it. That, that fucking chatterbox. <laughs> shut the fuck up. It's a stinker, that whole thing. So, to weed it out of your life. Now, another big, big bang up meta one. Um, if you're taking responsibility, it means figuring out what you want in your life and acting on it. Most of us, we're walking around like these monotonous drones, um, you know, getting pushed around like little little wombats, um, for the lack of a better <laughs> analogous animal. Mate, wombats are pretty tough, I reckon. They yeah, can't get pushed around. Yeah, that's a shocker. They're very fast and quite powerful. And yeah, yeah. I actually found myself running away from one <laughs> at the prompts. But anyway. But most of us, we don't take that time to sculpt our lives you got to take power you got to figure out what you want and you got to start heading towards it and of course you know what you got to do mate you got to feel the fear and do it anyway now there's one big conclusion from all of this in that whatever we do anything new it's going to be bloody scary there's always going to be fear but we need to realize that pushing through that fear it's going to be scary but it's going to be way less scary than living with the constant underlying fear that comes from a feeling of helplessness. Yeah, if you're choosing the path of the victim and actually just not doing anything about it, um, you're really choosing paralysis from it all. You might take the comfortable short-term path to go, hey, I'm not going to make that call. I'm going to sit down and watch Netflix today. It's obviously a bit easier. You're not taking any action, but in the long term, you're actually going to have this, this feeling of helplessness and eroded self-confidence. Remember that meta thing we said at the start? It's just a feeling, I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. That little I can't handle it, um, what, what do we call it, Full, fuel tank, it's going to be running on low. And if your confidence in yourself is low, you're just going to have this underlying fear, which is much greater in the long term. Yeah, short term, we're going to feel safe and secure in our little cocoon because we're not feeling that fear of taking a big risk and going out and trying something new and different. But that underlying fear that's going to keep growing and growing and growing, that you are helpless, that you can't handle it. And of course, that's that level three fear that's really going to permeate every area of your life. 
So the irony of all this is the people who refuse to face their fears and take risks actually live with a far greater dread than they would if they felt the fear and took the risks and did shit anyway and in doing so make themselves less helpless. The more you do this, the more you step outside your comfort zone, the more you can conquer any of these little challenges, you, you take the hard risky path instead of the comfortable Netflix cocoon, the more you can honestly answer any of those what ifs, whatever pops up, you can honestly say, I can handle it. 